when I feel like, uh, you know, relaxing, I tune in to Pullcast. <laughs> You know, one act of kindness snowballs into many. There have been a lot of contact between uh, Poland and India than we might assume. Poland, uh, things that come to mind, not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Pole and all that jazz. I'm Małgorzata Banikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 62nd episode of Polcast. If you want to join us in promoting Polish culture, history and great work of interesting Poles around the world, because Poland and Poles need good publicity now more than ever. And if you want to hear your name at the beginning of our next episode please visit our patrons page at mypolcast.com support. You can find all the information about our crowdfunding campaign on our website, mypolcast.com. And thanks to our donors, we are producing this episode on a new software program developed in Holland, especially for BBC. We're very happy and thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you very much. Poland's connections with many geographically distant countries are a truly fascinating topic. I heard this story about a famous pre-war Polish painter whose art decorates many palaces in India from a Canadian podcast listener born in India. He had just come back to Canada after visiting his home country and was fascinated with artist Stefan Norblin's contribution to India's culture. My name is Mohammad Ayub Khan. I am an Indo-Canadian. I was born in uh, India in a city called Hyderabad, which is in the state of Telangana. Uh, this is in the, in the south of India. And how old were you when you came to Canada? I was 14 years old. I am a researcher. I am doing my PhD in political science. And I'm basically interested in how various civilizations and communities interact with each other. In India or here in Canada or all over the world? All, all over the world, but uh, I'm mostly, my, my present work focuses on uh, India and Canada. When we spoke quite a while ago, and you told me something that interested me very much. You said you went back to India and you saw something that was connected with Poland. Right. So in uh, 2017, December of 2017 and January of 2018, I went to a place called Jodhpur. In, uh, this is located in the western part of India, uh, in the province of Rajasthan. And Jodhpur used to be one of the so-called princely states. Even when the, the British Empire used to rule over India, there were about 500 states which uh, were relatively free from British intervention. So Jodhpur was one of them. And 
the connection with Poland is that during the Second World War, when the famous uh, Art Deco painter uh, Norblin, he he had to leave Poland uh, because of the German occupation, and he traveled to Iraq, he traveled uh, to various other places, and he landed in Bombay in India. And then he was commissioned by various uh, princes to do, uh, uh, you know, various uh, paintings uh, uh, projects. And then in 1942, he landed up in the uh, in Jodhpur, and he probably did one of his major uh, works there, which are still housed at a palace which is called Umayyad Bhavan. So he combined his Art Deco style with the native uh, Rajputana style and uh, it is just marvelous. How well preserved is it? Uh, it is well preserved and since uh, 2008 uh, with funding from the Polish embassy in New Delhi uh, some of the damaged uh, artwork it has been restored and as we speak uh, restoration work is still being carried on. It is just marvelous when you see especially uh, the his paintings uh, from the indian epic uh, ramayana and mahabharata is is just a huge grand scale it gives you an entirely new perspective so it, it's kind of intermingling of two civilizations uh, the western civilization and the indian civilization and how this uh, artist viewed these indian epics on, on a grand scale. Norblin did all kinds of uh, work in, at the palace. So this palace itself is huge. It's on 26 acres. And uh, I believe it is one of the largest private residences anywhere in the world. So uh, Norblin did murals, he did small paintings, he did portraits, he did all kinds, all, all styles, all types. Most of them are preserved in that palace. Here's the uh, murals of the, the Indian epics, Ramayana and Mahabharata. They are in the main uh, halls or main rooms, and they are very grand. Are they available for the public to see? Because this is a private residence still, isn't it? Yeah, it is a private residence, but a part of the residence has been converted into a luxury hotel. And then there's one more section which is uh, open to the public. And there, there's one huge hall just uh, dedicated to Nordland's work. So you, you can you can watch them. But there are some private uh, rooms uh, which public is not allowed. Hotel guests who stay there, they, they can go and see that. Why did the Maharaja, because that was a Maharaja, right, who lived right. there. Why did the Maharaja decide to uh, ask Norblin to do all this? Why was it him? I mean, there were so many artists in the whole world. Yeah, so the Maharaja was a great uh, patron of... Uh, various artists and he himself was interested in art deco and i guess at that at that time uh norblin was one of the leading uh, artists in the art deco style and norblin had already established his reputation uh because bef before he went to jodhpur he also was in bombay and bombay was the most happening place at that time in the in the art scene so he he got vast exposure there and then from there, he went to Gujarat, and in Gujarat also, he got lots of exposure. So he had a reputation before landing in, in Jodhpur. 
Did you know about the exhibition in his native town in Poland of Stalowa Wola, to which I think one of the Maharajas from India came? This was in 2011, was so-called Norblin coming home, the, the very first time his art was exhibited in Poland. Yes, uh, it was the grandson of the, uh, the king uh, who, was, who came there. How do um, people who live in India react to this kind of art? Because it's very different from the traditional Indian art. Yes, it's a very different artistic style. But uh, India has also been a place of experimentation where various styles uh, have, have been uh, deployed, have been experimented with. So uh, it, it's, it's different, but non, not unfamiliar uh, to, to the common Indian person. In the palace now, where you say that um, some of his work can be seen by the public, is there any information about him as well as an artist or just the paintings and the murals? No, there, is, uh, there, there are lots of uh, installations uh, talking about his uh, life, his uh, biography, about his family. There are pictures of uh, Norblin and his family. Uh, there, there are lots of stuff on him. You know he took his life, right? Yeah, unfortunately it was very tragic. Norblin was losing his eyesight. And you know, for an artist, it's very important. It's, it's very, very tragic. And you know, Norblin's work is in many other places in India. Is that the only place where you saw it yourself? Yeah, that's the only place I saw it, but his work is everywhere. And even in the city from where I come from, in Hyderabad, I have seen some of his work, uh, like a smaller scale, in in private collections. Are you aware also, uh, Ayub, of the story of the Polish children in India? Yes, that's another one of the smaller princes. Uh, his name was uh, Raja Sahab of uh, Jam, uh, Navanagar, which is in the Gujarat uh, province of India. So he was on the Imperial War Council. And when he found out that uh, the Polish orphans, most, most of them were Catholics and Jews, they had nowhere to go. So he offered to undertake uh, their responsibility. And about a thousand of them were, uh, were taken by him under his care. Uh, a good new book came out, which I think everyone should read. It's called The Second Homeland, Polish Refugees in India by Anuradha Bhattacharji. She had also made a, a documentary movie. I would encourage everyone to take a look at both the book and, and the documentary. It's very eye-opening. We did talk about it on our podcast, uh, about this story. So now it's the second, the second Indian-related Maharaja story. You know, Maharaja, that Maharaja who took care of the Polish children has a, has a square in Warsaw, and I think he also has a statue in Warsaw. Yeah, I think it's called the Good Maharaja Square. Yes, Good Maharaja Square, exactly. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And apparently the kids were so happy there because he was just so generous and opened right. his heart and built some special quarters for the children and took care of their education. What a beautiful person. Right. It's, what, what are your thoughts about it? Because there seems to be some kind of a connection. Is there a connection? Of course. Poland has such a vast... Uh, and deep cultural history and uh, e even the Polish diaspora communities which are spread all over the world as they evolve there, there are similarities to Indian diaspora and other communities as well so when I listen to podcast I, I am just uh, 
amazed by you know how how similar the diaspora experiences are how the various communities are trying to preserve their culture in distant lands so it's very fascinating the polish contact with india goes back to the renaissance era uh, when there were several uh, polish travelers who like diplomats traders explorers who came to india like some of them i can tell their names i apologize for my mispronunciation but uh, like erasm krakulowski uh, pavel uh, palwowski crystal polowski and one interesting character his name is gaspar gaspar de, de gama so the name sounds portuguese but he was actually polish so all these people travel during the 1500s 1600s and in 1611 a priest by the name of stanislav krochowski uh, he never visited india but he published a, a translation of bhagavad gita in polish so he he didn't know sanskrit but he consulted a latin translation of uh, bhagavad gita to do it in in uh, in, the, in the polish language and uh, the ramayana another uh, uh, religious text hindu religious text was published in 1816 by uh, valenti majowski I'm, i'm hoping i'm pronouncing it right <laughs> and a more uh, a more direct translation of uh, ramayana and mahabharata directly from sanskrit by uh, was published in 1828 by ignash uh, kalakowski so he 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 was a excellent scholar of uh, sanskrit uh, the ancient uh, indian language so there are a lot there have been a lot of contact between uh, poland and india than we might assume and uh, the current uh, ambassador of poland to india he is fluent in two indian languages hindi and urdu he he was a professor of political science and now he is ambassador uh, to india he he is a very interesting uh, figure he says that he watches indian uh, hindi movies every day one 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 movie per day and he has watched more than 400 as of uh, 2018 <laughs> and i from what i know if i may say something from what yeah. i know you guys produce quite a lot every year right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah india soft power as is, is uh, you know gaining uh, huge prominence these days and the film industry has been very critical in in uh, you know projecting that soft power and uh, lots of polish travelers are traveling to that uh, part of the world not only in india but also to pakistan sri lanka uh there is one uh, polish slash uh, english uh, traveler uh she is doing a uh, lots of videos from pakistan these these days her she has gained a big popularity in pakistan she is uh, doing this short 5 uh, to 10 minute videos so the name of this uh, polish travel blogger is Eva Zubek yeah she has gained like millions of uh, fan following on social media you should definitely check her out lots of uh, polish artists are also visiting uh, india and i was at uh, uh, the new delhi book fair which is one of the biggest uh, book fairs in the world in uh, in january this year and uh, the polish pavilion was a uh, looked like it was a hit with the local people 
they they have lots of uh, translations uh, of uh, contemporary Polish authors. Everybody that I know who said that they've been to India, and you know, I know a number of people, they always said it's a life-changing experience. Yes, it is. I mean, uh, the, the the minute you land on the airport, it will hit you, but it will eventually sink in the whole experience. What is it about India? Well, do you know? You're you come from India, so I don't know if you now, maybe having this distance from Canada, you can actually put your finger on it. What is it? I don't know if I can articulate it. You'll have to experience it. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it can be said in words. <laughs> yeah, the the colors, the sights, the sounds, the smells, everything. What has your research taught you? It, it shows about the human experience at, at the end of the day how Despite our differences of uh, race, ethnicity, geography, uh, the human experiences are all very similar. From a human perspective, it, uh, it is very easy for us to connect with each other and keep the differences apart. Tell me, do you think Canada has done a especially good job? Is it true or is it only that we say that's the way it is? I think Canada has done a remarkable job in managing diversity. So instead of uh, some uh, models like uh, like a melting pot, we have maintained a good salad bowl model where we have uh, preserved the good of ever, all all these different cultures while uh, creating our own unique Canadian identity. I mean, it's still a work in pro- progress. With the entire global scenario uh, where you know right wing ideologies are coming up, so it, it it we are still undergoing a phase, a challenging phase, but I think we will come out good in the end. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Since we cannot show you all this wonderful art and rich colors of India, you have to visit our website at mypodcast.com. And not only photos, but also a beautiful film by Małgorzata Skiba in English called Chitranjali, Stefan Norblin in India, produced in 2011. They're going to show you a lot of amazing, amazing scenes from three Maharajas' palaces in Jodhpur, Morbi and Ramgar. Also, you can watch on our website a video showing the super luxury hotel, which Ayub mentioned, and its presidential suites, all adorned with Stefan Norblin's art. That part of it, which the public cannot see. Having watched this one, you can really feel what real beauty and luxury are from the moment you enter the exquisite gate to the hotel grounds. You have to see it and arrange a stay at this gorgeous Indian hotel. Давно to było ryżno, wiecie, nie było tak jak teper, żeby tak było, ale ludzie jakieś były takie szczery, gdzie lubili towarzystwo, schodziliśmy się, żeby było weselsze i pośpiewali nawet młodzież to tańczyłaty się w szczyle, jak jak tańcy były inne starodawni. Choćby nam dach, to na organkach był zagrał, to my się dość natancowali. To była ra- radość, była taka. Was this in Polish? 
No, no, that was in the Lemko's language, considered by Ukrainian linguists to be the most Western of Ukrainian dialects. According to the 2011 census, there are over 10,000 Lemkos living in Poland. They are one of the officially recognized ethnic minorities in Poland. Interesting, because Poland is not known for its ethnic minorities and many Poles are not aware of them. And there are numerous minorities in Poland, Silesians, Roma, Kashubian, and of course Jews. There is a community of almost 2,000 Tatars still living in Poland. If you're interested in how they arrived in Poland, maybe you want to listen to the very beginning of our first episode for a clue. But back to Lemkos. If you want to find them, you need to go to southern eastern Poland, in the area of Beskid Sądecki and Niski. The area is close to Ukraine and Slovakia. One theory is that the Lemkos developed from a migration in the 14th and 15th centuries. There's also a view that they're refugees from Ruthenian lands who moved to the western side of the Carpathian Mountains in the 14th century to escape the Mongol invasion. Wemkowszczyzna became part of Poland in medieval times, long time ago. Wemkos became a ethnic minority as part of Austrian province of Galicia in 1772. After World War I, Lemkos founded two short-lived republics. It is estimated that about 130 to 140,000 Lemkos lived in the Polish part of Wemkowszczyzna in 1939, that is before World War II. In 1947, those who survived the Nazi occupation were resettled to the western regions of Poland, taken over from the Germans after the war. Lemko's speech includes some patterns matching those of surrounding Polish and Slovak languages, leading some to refer to it as a transitional dialect between Polish and Slovak. In 2013, the famous novel The Little Prince was translated into Lemko by Petro Krynicki. The world-famous Polish naive painter Nikifor was a Lemko. Mother of George Strombolopoulos, Canadian television personality, comes from Lemko heritage. So if you want to meet or see one in Canada now, just to watch, I think he is on the Hockey Night in Canada. Right, and there are Lemko associations and organizations in Canada and in the US. In the critical acclaimed movie The Deer Hunter, the wedding reception scene is filmed in Lemko Hall, in the neighborhood of Cleveland, Ohio, which had a significant immigrant population of Lemkos at one time. And interesting to know that the parents of the pop art legend Andy Warhol, who was born in the US, his parents were immigrants and they are Lemkos. So Andy Warhol was Lemko too. I'm so lucky to live in the country, just next door to a picturesque Ontario town with a population of 30,000. Orangeville has many interesting and unique features, and I love digging into its colorful stories. And recently, while looking at a local Facebook group, I saw something that caught my attention. A photo of a line between two trees in front of a house, with many winter clothes on hangers, and a message from its owner. Free. Hi, everybody. I hope you are staying warm. I still have plenty of winter clothing on my line. Come on by. 
I'm starting a new campaign. Prom is coming up and there are kids out there that can't afford dresses, suits, accessories. I'm taking donations of prom dresses, suits, ties, shirts, and accessories. As they come in, I'll post pictures. They will be kept inside. Everybody deserves to look beautiful for prom. Wow. This appeal to people to just come and take whatever they may need for free melted my heart. And then I noticed the name, Basha, clearly a Polish name. I called immediately and heard this enthusiastic voice who confirmed that yes, of course, she was Polish. A few days later, I was talking to Basha and her daughter Shannon in Basha's cozy living room. Colorful scarves, winter hats and yarn were everywhere, on the chairs, on the coffee table and on the sofa covered with a characteristic Polish quilt. So this idea of this line in front of your house, this is something that you, I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that. Have you? No. <laughs> no, no. I Ideas I have. <laughs> so uh, I just, you know, I, I went on a medical and I can't really, I can't go out and work. And I love to crochet and I thought, how do I combine it and help out? Yes. But yeah, the line was basically, um, you know, just here, take it. And uh, so, do people come during the day to take it, or do they like creep in at night? No, a lot of now, like it used to be, I'd wake up in the morning and a lot of stuff was gone. Yeah. But now that it's become more popular and okay, and there's no judgment here, you know, I don't care what you know. Help yourself. I see a lot of people coming during the day. Yes. Uh, you know, looking for stuff and. Uh, they have no problem with it. I get a little bit of donation, but not a lot. It's, you know, so I kind of figure it's needed. But would you want people to come and donate? Like donate clothing? Okay, they yeah, they donate clothing. I ask for monetary yarn donations as well. Like, a, you know, a couple of dollars here, a couple of dollars there. Because I do purchase the hangers. I purchase the bags. I purchase, you know, I shovel the snow. I, I You know, I do quite a lot of work. I, I maintain. Yeah. Okay. You shovel the snow. <laughs> you know, I do maintain the front. And, you know, like I ask for a couple of dollars here and there if you can afford it. Mm-hmm. You know, one act of kindness snowballs into many. And that's what I like about it. And Orangeville is really, really great for that kind of stuff. There's so many helpful people out there. Yes. Oh, yeah. Give me some stories. Oh, my goodness. Well, okay, Tony Cawthorn, first of all, she makes um, kids' dresses and kids' tutus and whatever. Like, you know, she's a seamstress type of deal. She donated all kinds of little kids' tutus and stuff um, for free. People can come and get them. My son... Dressed up as Santa, so he we had a Santa day. He was waving it all, and the kids were stopping by, and we we just had a Santa day. So that was one of the things. So Tony is another one that does a lot of good work. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I am so terrible for names. That's why I'm looking I'm here. I'm good with names. You're good with names. I am not so good with names. Actually, this is my card, mm-hmm. and what I also do it's called Squares for Care, mm-hmm. and this is what I do at the market. It's for a $5 donation. We put your name on the tag. Mm-hmm. And then I sew these squares together and I make blankets and I make cocoons and I donate them to the Family Transition Place and as well as the Avalon Retirement Center. Yeah. So they get lap blankets, they get um, shawls, 
all made out of squares that are donated and all the names are there. So it really is a community effort. So they get a card from me mm-hmm. and from every time they donate, they get a little square, like I fill in the square and at the end they get to have a little little something from me. Either, you know, like a cloth set or mm-hmm. something, something little from me. Oh, there's Shannon doing her scarves. Yes, I did. I thought it was perfect for her because I've tried to teach I'm her to crochet and I've tried hand. to teach her. And it's just coordination knot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, How no coordination. Do it? But How long does it take you to, to make one scarf? 10, 15 minutes. 10, 15 minutes. Oh, yeah, no, that's not long. <laughs> not long at all. The whole bag of it. She's yeah. finished her all her scarves. Dresses, where will they come from? Also, people, people donating people them. Oh, donate. yes, I have. How many do you have? Right now, I have three. So I have three donated today, mm-hmm. and I have a couple of people coming with more donations. I also have one coming from, two coming from my daughter. Yes. So as soon as they're here, I take pictures of them, and you know they are online. Mm-hmm. You'll Just see them. Those are available right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, anybody can come. They can message me. They can knock on my door for all I care. That's fine. Because they're dogs. Yeah, well, the dogs will bark, but that's okay. I think that's okay. Yes, I'm home. They can come by. They can fit. You know, try them on, and if they want them, take them. So he is from Christian's Menswear here in Orangeville, and he will do. He sent me a text. He said, any steam cleaning that needs to be done and any alterations that need to be done, just let him know. He left me his address, his phone number, and the uh, woman that does the alterations left me her phone number said he'll do it all for free. So you're so active also on social media, which is great, right? I try. I'm not I'm not very techie. So I can get on. I have a Facebook page, Yeah. but I never use it. <laughs> Never, never use it. But you use it for your purposes, right? I use the buy and sells. How did it start with you? Like, is that the way you were brought up? Well, yes. Well, my parents were both very, very active in Hatsersfo. That's right, because you're Polish. This is why I'm here. I am. I am. I was raised... Few Polish words. You speak, speak a few Polish words. I was brought up, you know, in in Polish festival here uh, in Toronto. I did the camps. I did um, uh, Colonia. I was, um, you know, scouts. yeah, yes, scouts. That's yes. Yeah, Hatserstvo. Yeah. My parents, well, were Druhna and Druh Podkowinski, Zosia and Zbyszek Podkowinski. You have no no accent in your Polish. You're amazing. Oh, well, I do. Uh, I don't speak it a lot anymore because, first thing, Shannon knows a few words, but it's hard to up, like, maintain my Polish language. I still speak to my mother, half na pół. Half na pół. Yeah, and Babcia still gets mad at me. Basia! <laughs> yeah, 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 okay, mama. You know, but, uh, you know, like, Shannon can't speak Polish. My husband was not Polish. So it was just the the little bit that I spoke to my parents, and uh, as the years go on, you kind of lose a lot of it. Um, you know, I can still get by. I can still, you know, speak it. I still do read it. Keep it simple, you know, ala <laughs> ios. <laughs> but I do read it, and I can write some of it. Shannon, so. are you going to be helping your mom? Yes, I absolutely, am. absolutely. She's a great help. <laughs> How old are you? I'm thirty-two. 
and my birthday is March 25th, 1986. Yes, absolutely. And you're enjoying doing this. Yes, I am. Yes, we do the farmer's market. Together. Yes. So we take all our squares mm-hmm. and we do the farmer's market. Um, and I also crochet other things, like mm-hmm. the ponchos, the yeah. tops. Um, I do a lot of cocoons. People have been super generous donating yarn. I've got lots of like lots of yarn, lots of yarn donations, but I go through it fairly quickly. I can imagine. Oh yes, um, I can go. I can make on a good day if I'm not doing anything else. I could probably make twenty hats a day. That's a lot <laughs> of yes. hats. That's a lot, a lot of, hats. of hats. That's why when I found this pattern, mm-hmm. it's a super quick pattern. So and it uses a big hook, and I can get a lot done. Yeah. That this was my claim to fame. That's beautiful. That's the hats and the pom poms. They are free. They go on my lawn. Yeah, that's do. how I started. Yeah, I started with whatever was left for the craft show, and then I started making those hats. And that's last year. It was basically those hats. Mm-hmm. This year it ex- escalated to boots, donated jackets, um, snow pants, mitts, hats, gloves. People have been donating. They've been fantastic. <laughs> I've given away, I'd say, close to a hundred jackets. This year, this year alone. The generosity in Orangeville is, is great. It's fantastic. Well, I came here 20-odd years ago, and uh, I lived in Shelburne for a bit, but I'm back in Orangeville. And I love this house. I've always passed by it and passed by it. Mm-hmm. And when it came up for rent, I'm like, mine. I will get it. And, of course, uh, the landlady's got... Deb. Uh, she's got a grandson with Down syndrome. She mm-hmm. had over 50 applicants for this house. Oh as soon as she saw Shannon... Yes. She said it's yours. And I'm like, bonus. See, so this was your job. This yes, we got is. this house because yes. of her. Oh, yeah, because of Shannon. Because because she has Down syndrome. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. And chromosome. Twenty first chromosome. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's called. It, technical term is trisomy twenty one. Right? Yes. So you triple the pain in the butt. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's anything that I can do. What can I do? What can I donate? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Nice. That's all that's left. I have. Ha- oh. In terms of winter clothing. Yeah, that's all I have left. That's right there. Oh, stuff. winter coats always. Winter coats, hats, mitts, scarves. Yep, yep. I always take them. Always and whatever. Once the weather, you know, gets warmer, I take everything I have. I put it in bins for next year. Exactly. You know, like none, none nothing gets thrown away. So what's fun. the next step, Basha? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to go Ontario-wide. I'd like to put it up online and go Ontario-wide, Canada-wide, international. Even with the squares or anything like that, I like to see people say, can I do this in my area? You know, I'd like to see other people in other small towns. I don't know if it would be great in a big town because there's too many people that would take advantage of something like that. But I'd like to see these things, like a line like that, pop up in all the little towns where everybody can be helped. So that's where I'd like to see it go. For more information about this wonderful project and how you can become part of it, please visit our website at mypodcast.com. Smacznego! We're here talking about our love for eating Polish. My name is Peter. And my name is Laura. And we wrote two Heritage Polish cookbooks, 
called Polish Classic Recipes and Polish Classic Desserts, where all the recipes have been handed down from previous generations. But updated for modern kitchens, so no more pinch of this or glass of that. Today, we're going to chat about braising a delicious pork loin roast in our favorite cooking pot. Do you have a favorite go-to cooking pot? Why do you like it so much? You know, mine used to be this wide, shiny, five-quart beauty that we've had for over 45 years. I've used it for countless pots of chili, spaghetti sauce, gumbo, and lots of roasts. I remember buying it as part of a set just before we got married. Occasionally, we still see this same brand of pots being hawked at home and garden shows by salesmen who cook every type of ingredient without sticking, burning, or even ruining the food. They're right next to the miracle wiping cloth, miracle mops, and the miracle knives that cut everything from paper to my fingers. We've bought a lot of pots over the years. Small saucy pots, big lobster pots, pasta pots, steamer pots, non-stick pots, and outrageously expensive pots. Just about every kind of specialty pot ever made. Now we have a new favorite a bright yellow cast iron Dutch oven by Le Creuset. It's a bit heavy for me and a bit awkward to get down from the shelf, but that's why Peter's around. Thanks, hon. I just love being needed. So now it's our go-to big pot for all kinds of dishes and especially for braising meats, such as beef roasts or pork loins. It heats evenly and keeps its heat marvelously and does its best work on medium. If you don't burn your food in the bottom, it's easy to clean as well. We love braising pork roasts in our big yellow pot. Pork loins are inexpensive, lean, healthy, and delicious. We just did a beautiful pork loin for a family dinner that was a real winner. And it was easy on me because I didn't have to spend hours prepping everything. Start with a fresh pork loin. About a pound and a half will serve six. You'll need some seasoned flour, vegetable oil, apple juice or cider. Three large sliced onions, three large Granny Smith apples that have been peeled and sliced, and as always, salt and pepper to taste. While the oil is heating in that large oven-safe five-quart pot, dredge the pork loin in flour and brown it on all sides in the oil, then take it out of the pot. Next, saute the onions in the pot for about five minutes and set them aside. You may have to add a little more oil. Now pour the apple juice or cider into the pot and put the pork loin back in. It should sit in about one or two inches of liquid. Cover your pot tightly and simmer for an hour. And don't forget to check the pot once in a while to make sure that that liquid hasn't evaporated. Add more juice if needed. So after an hour, add the onions and the apples back to the pot and simmer for another half an hour. Now this is important. You need to check the internal temperature with a meat thermometer. The safe internal pork cooking temperature is 145 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 63 degrees Celsius. Remove the meat to a warmed platter and cover with foil. Strain the pan drippings and discard the solids. Return those strained juices to the pot and make a sauce with the flour. And don't forget to taste for salt and pepper. Finally, slice the pork thinly and pour the sauce over the meat. We like to serve it with red cabbage or sauerkraut and mashed potatoes.
Peter likes to pair this dish with Polish beer, of course, or a hearty red wine. The full recipe for this dish and information about our heritage cookbooks is on our website, www.polishclassiccooking.com. Just scroll down to the article recently posted on February 20th, 2019. Smacznego! So if you don't have the yellow pot, you can't make it? Of course you can make it. Make it in any four, four or five quart pot. Okay. Well, but yours is the best, right? Of course it is. My goodness. Why is it so good? Well, it's very heavy. It's cast iron that's that's covered in porcelain. Mm-hmm. What is it about cast iron? Like it's so, like everybody seems to be thinking that cast iron pots are the best. Well, it holds its heat and it, and it keeps the heat even. So I don't know. It's a fad. This this uh, Le Creuset uh, line of uh, pots has become very popular here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But isn't that the pots that people used like ages ago, ages, ages? They did yeah. it. The, yeah, the, the cast iron, yes. The people used those for years. In fact, people have handed down those cast iron skillets for years. Um, they're part of... Uh, the, the legacy from grandma sometimes. Only now they're covered in porcelain so you can clean them easy and, and they don't scratch up your glass stoves. That's right. Well, anyway, we're going to try the recipe. Thank you. In the past episodes of our podcast, we have covered a large number of stories and presented to you many amazing people. And it is our great pleasure to update you on some of our interlocutors' new achievements, as well as some new developments in the stories we have featured. We are very happy to announce exciting news about author and our podcast patron, Donna Urbicus, whom we featured in episode 23. Donna's fascinating book, My Sister's Mother, has just had a new paperback edition, published by the University of Wisconsin Press in February. And the book was selected as one of the best books for public and secondary school libraries, published in 2017. Well-deserved. Congratulations, Donna. Congratulations, Donna. You've been listening to the 62nd episode of Podcast. Podcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For a lot of additional information, multimedia, please visit our website at mypodcast.com. And while you're there, please share your comments, your reactions and suggest ideas. If you know of any interesting story that we should cover on our podcast, please let us know. Please remember about our crowdfunding campaign. Like all other podcasts, we do count and depend on our listeners. We depend on you. As we said before, what is free for you to listen to, it's not free for us to make. So, please support podcast. Go to mypodcast.com support and make a pledge. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to rate this episode on your favorite podcast app.
And we leave you today with another example of Lemko language, this time sung, and it's definitely not medieval. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Europejska Unia Męszyny popera dalem koza czuży mlecia furt rozera Treba nam zaczaty swoje szanowaty, bo zaraz nie budę już o czymś piwaty Każdy lemko z zachodu durije Nowa moda teper Wszystkich preonacat I nasze młody barsia tam polacat Stary tisz ja hańblad Posłom uradyty Wasyl nie mi to jak zrozumity